Welcome to the Learning Capacity Podcast. You're with Colin Klupik. In this interview, we talk to speech-language pathologist Devon Barnes about dyslexia, and in particular, what it is, how it relates to intelligence, how to treat it, and where to get help. Devon, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Colin. Can you tell us what dyslexia is? Well, basically, if we look at the word dyslexia, dys means difficulty with, and lexia means word. So in the simplest way we could explain it is really difficulty with words, and in particular with the written word. So people who have dyslexia have a great deal of difficulty learning to read and spell. Can you tell us what it is not? Well, dyslexia is not related to intelligence, so it's not to do with having a low, a low IQ. And it is also not uh, illiteracy, illiteracy being inability to read and write because you haven't had instruction. And dyslexia is not really about the visual system entirely. So a lot of people in the olden days thought that dyslexia was something to do with the eyes. Well, we now understand that, that it's not. Yes, if you're a sighted person, you do need to have adequate vision to learn to read and spell, but is not a difficulty primarily with the visual system, but with the language system. And so does that give us a clue as to what actually causes dyslexia? Well, I think there's um, been a lot of research in the last 20 years or so into the causes of dyslexia. And we know that it's largely um, inherited, so it's mainly uh, a genetic disability where you just inherit different brain wiring which uh, prevents you from learning to read and write easily. So how do I know if I actually have it? Well, if you've struggled to learn to read and in particular you have a lot of difficulty with spelling. Uh, Spelling seems to be the most difficult part of dyslexia in the long term. I think with what we know now how to treat dyslexia, many people with dyslexia can become competent readers, but always they will have difficulty with spelling because spelling uh, involves a lot more cognitive processes, particularly in the area where we need to analyse the sounds within words and remember the printed forms of words. What we do know about dyslexia is that it's a language problem and in particular that part of language where we have to deal with the individual speech sounds that we use when we uh, speak. So for example, if I am speaking and I'm using those speech sounds to make words, my brain has to have those sounds very precisely mapped in my auditory cortex and I've got to be able to deal with those sounds. Speech sounds are known as phonemes and in English we use 44 of those when we speak. So the challenge for someone with dyslexia is really, and we know this is where their difficulty lies, is in making the connection between the sound that we produce when we speak and its corresponding letters or symbols, depending on what language you're learning. So it's that difficulty making a connection between the symbol that represents a sound and and the spoken sound. So if I was struggling with that myself, would that 
manifest itself in me with just general frustration about uh, reading and writing or would I get frustrated about my ability to spell? Is that how I would discover it in myself? Incredible frustration for the person with dyslexia uh, in both of those, in both reading and writing and particularly spelling. And often children will doesn't take them very long they can only be in maybe kindergarten or year one and they'll start to feel very different from their from their peers they'll start to feel stupid they'll start to feel dumb where quite often the child with dyslexia is highly intelligent but because of the difference in their brain wiring they're just not able to make those connections between the sounds and the letters they represent um, which really impairs their ability to read and spell easily in those early years. Mm. I suppose if we're dealing with children, I guess a child might start to realise that something's wrong if their teacher keeps hassling them about their spelling or maybe their, their poor handwriting. Is, is that how it might yes, come out? Yes, poor handwriting often uh, goes hand in hand with dyslexia as well. Um, and often, you know, children just... One of the first things a teacher will find is that the children have difficulty learning those what we call sight words, you know, those very common words that um, we use 25% of all words can be reduced to about 20 words that we Mm. use 25% of the time. Children have a lot of difficulty remembering those and learning those. And also in just learning to read in general, they have difficulty sounding out words for what the the process we call decoding is that ability if we've got a word that we can't read we use our knowledge of sound letter association to work it out but we also have to have the skill of sequentially processing the sounds in a word so we have to go from sound to sound across the word for example if I wanted to read the word beach I'm and I haven't I don't recognise that word. First of all, I've got to look at the letter B and know that says B. I've got to look at the next two letters, E-A, and know they say E. Then I've got to look at the next two letters, C-H, and know they say Ch. So I've got to process that word within its sound structure Mm. and its letter structure. B, each, so I can read the word beach. Mm. Now, people with dyslexia have a huge amount of difficulty with that task, the task of decoding. Is it more common in English language speakers? Well, the actual dyslexia itself seems to run at about 10% in all cultures. But the challenge for people learning English is that English is not a transparent language. English has evolved from many other languages, Greek and Latin and German and Old English. So we don't have um, a one-on-one correspondence between a letter or a group of letters and the sounds they make. And so it's much harder to learn to read and write English uh, if you have dyslexia because of the inconsistencies that we have with our sound letter association. For example, if we take the sound A, it has eight different spelling patterns. Mm. And so if you're struggling to learn that relationship between a letter or a group of letters and the sounds they make, you know, you've got a lot bigger job to do when you're learning to read and spell English. Devon, you mentioned before that dyslexia is not related to a lack of intelligence. Can you expand on that, please? Absolutely. We know that very, very many people with dyslexia have very high IQs. In fact, at the moment, I'm working with about four or five um, students 
between the ages of 9 and 16 who have IQs in the superior range, but they just happen to have dyslexia. In the superior range. So do you meet many children like that? Yes, I do. Frequently, uh, many of my students are very, very bright, are very, very bright young people who just happen to have dyslexia, which has impacted on their ability to to read and, and, and spell. Conversely, you can have a child with a low IQ that struggles to learn to read, not related to dyslexia. But if a child has a low IQ, an additional problem with dyslexia, that just going to mean that they're going to have even more difficulty learning to read. But knowing that most people with dyslexia are at least average or above average IQ, so it is not related to intelligence at all. So how does a really smart kid deal with their frustration with reading and writing and language when they, they must know inside that they, that they are a bright person? How do they deal with that internally? Well, you know, we tell them they're bright, but often because of their failure to read and spell, they don't think of themselves as bright. So it's very important for those students that we develop all their, all their strengths, so work with their strengths, develop those strengths. So they've got a way of uh, self-expression that's not to do with reading and writing. Many of my students with dyslexia are talented musicians or talented artists or elite sports people and so we need to really develop those those strengths so that's where they're going to get their self-expression and it is very frustrating for them because they're told they're bright but when you see what they produce on paper it doesn't look like a bright child. The good thing today for these students is that we have a lot of technology now that can really assist them so we have um, speech to text Uh, technology and text-to-speech so they can now instead of having to write um, an essay or an assignment they can now speak it into something like Dragon and it will type it for them. Uh, Conversely we've got lots of technology now uh, which is text-to-speech where it can read text for them if they're struggling and have a lot of text to read you know to do research on an assignment so life has become easier for, for these students Um, Obviously we have to teach them how to use technology, but technology is certainly making their life a lot easier these days. So do we see uh, the brighter kids who have or suffer from dyslexia uh, get frustrated at school because perhaps the school system doesn't reflect their ability to express their intelligence? That's completely correct. And quite often a teacher, not any fault of the teacher, but the teacher will, you know, the parents will say, look, we've had this assessment done and my student, my child's really bright. And the teacher will say, well, that's not what I see on, on paper. So it's a lot of education of teachers to um, help them understand that you can have dyslexia and be very bright. And finding ways of teaching that child that doesn't involve just reading and writing. So quite often children with dyslexia are very good verbally so they can learn by listening and doing and they can often uh, give back information verbally uh, whereas they wouldn't be able to put that on paper and so now having things like readers and scribes for for exams is very important for children with dyslexia so they can show their knowledge uh, in a way that's good for them rather than having to force them to write it when we know that that's going to be a real problem for them. Devon, how do you treat dyslexia? 
First of all, we would want to have an assessment done to determine the level of dyslexia and the um, significance of the underlying processing difficulties that we know are often um, the main issues with dyslexia. So first of all, we, for a sighted person, we need to make sure that their, their vision system is working correctly, both their visual acuity and their, their focusing ability and eye muscle control. We need to make sure that they can hear correctly so that they can then better able to perceive the sounds in words. We know one of the underlying problems in dyslexia is this difficulty with analysing sounds in words, what we call phonological processing. So we would need to see what level of difficulty um, the student has in that area. And then basically we do know, and all the research tells us, that the most effective way to treat dyslexia is to explicitly teach um, the correspondence between letters and sounds, the sequential processing of sounds and words, and whole word recognition, then developing eventually uh, onto reading fluency. Do we talk about cures? We, when we think about a cure, we usually think of that in terms of a disease. So, you know, you have a disease, uh, for example, you might have, um, uh, you know, cancer, and that can be cured with treatment. But dyslexia is not a disease. So we would never talk about a cure for, for, for dyslexia because it isn't a disease. It's a condition that is very treatable. But I think if anybody offers a cure for dyslexia, I'd be very cautious of that because we know it's treatable, but my belief is it doesn't ever really go away completely. So you can certainly treat it and really improve the, the, the skills of a person with dyslexia, but I would never use the word cure for dyslexia. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that it would never go away completely. Does that mean that a person can still uh, succeed in life, if I could use that term? Yes, uh, and many, many, many successful people in the world today um, are known to have had dyslexia. Tom Cruise is an example, um, Kerry Packer, the, the, one of the wealthiest Australians we've ever had was uh, reported to be dyslexic and so dyslexia is no bar to being successful at all. Well you've just mentioned two professions there that are uh, pretty uh, far apart from one another. Um, are there any particular professions that dysle people who suffer from dyslexia are, can be particularly good at? Well uh, once upon a time I would have said yes because if your profession requires a great deal of, of high level reading ability and writing ability, you know, you would find that more difficult, for example, something like journalism or law. But that being said now, with technology, they would not even be professions that would necessarily, you, you couldn't uh, achieve in with dyslexia because now we have the technology that, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the speech-to-text and text-to-speech technology mm. um, helps the person with dyslexia get around those, those issues. So really, I don't think there's any, um, anything you couldn't do uh, if you're a person with dyslexia. You also, also mentioned... Uh, before that it's not related to low IQ. So I guess, uh, coupled with what you've just said, that really does throw the door quite wide open for people to, to choose whatever career they wanted. Yes, and I think um, by doing an assessment um, at some stage in life, 
but also not necessarily an assessment, but just understanding a person's strengths, people are also going to be much more successful and get a lot more enjoyment out of a career where they're doing something they love or where they're doing something that they have a real talent for. I mean, a job is not hard if you're doing what you love. Uh, and so understanding the strengths of a person with dyslexia um, and uh, developing those strengths really helps them achieve in life. And there are many successful people with dyslexia, you know, who have fantastic visual spatial skills, for example, architects, designers, uh, artists, and so uh, musicians who, um, you know, thrive uh, despite their dyslexia. So I guess coming back now to someone, a younger person who might still be at school and might be struggling perhaps with the system or the way that they're being assessed, the news is very positive then for them for the future in that they, their condition may not necessarily need to be an impediment for their professional future. Exactly. And I think the key for those students is to have... Uh, early diagnosis and very uh, explicit teaching and intensive teaching. We know that for someone with dyslexia they're going to have to do more practice with reading and spelling than children without dyslexia. I use the analogy that sometimes they have to put in a thousand times more effort for 10% of the outcome but that is a reality for these children that they do have to work harder to develop the skills that a child without dyslexia doesn't have to do. But often that comes with great strength. I'm, I'm always amazed at the students I work with and their ability to, to keep going, to keep trying. And you know, they know they've got to work harder, but they do it and they just amaze me every day. Turning now to how to get help with dyslexia. If I was to Google getting help with dyslexia, I'm sure there would be thousands, perhaps millions of results. How do I sort out the good help from the bad? And why should I be even listening to you? I think that's a dilemma for all, all people and, and parents of children who might suspect their child has dyslexia. Well, my personal story is I've been a speech language pathologist now for 40 years. In the early years of my profession, we thought our job was done when we had the child, you know, we developed their oral language. They might have been come to us because they were slow to learn to talk or had difficulty making speech sounds. And we thought our job was done when we, you know, they were five or six and they were speaking well. But we came to realise that many of these children with language difficulties go on to have dyslexia because, in essence, dyslexia is a language skill. And so speech pathologists then became much more involved in treating dyslexia because it's just a natural flow on from developing a child's oral language. So we have a lot of expertise now where we can uh, assess and manage children with, with all kinds of reading impairment. And so your profession has been accumulating this knowledge now for decades? 30, I'd say 30 or 40 years. And I myself have specialised for the last 25 years in the assessment and management of children with, with reading disability and in dyslexia. And so I've immersed myself in the knowledge. I've gone to conferences, I read very widely, um, journal articles, textbooks. I'm ever trying to understand uh, how to manage these kids better and get the best outcomes for them. 
if I was talking to someone who I thought could help me with a dyslexia issue, what would be a couple of key indicators that might make me a bit wary? Well, you'd want to know what their background um, experience and knowledge is would be one thing. There are some systems out there that uh, claim to cure dyslexia, but anyone can train in those systems. You can be anyone really and just do a little bit of training and then reportedly um, treat dyslexia. That's very concerning to me because someone like that would not have the background knowledge about all the the processing difficulties that, that uh, um, are there in a person with dyslexia. So you want to find out what the person's background knowledge is. People who have a background in teaching, particularly remedial teaching, educational psychologists um, and speech pathologists are usually the best informed people to manage and treat dyslexia. But that being said, you also need to find out what the person's experience is in, in assessing and treating dyslexia. What about the family GP? Is that maybe a starting point? Well, my understanding is that many GPs don't really um, have a lot of understanding about dyslexia, but they certainly may uh, know of people that they can refer a family to for help. And we could, again, it could be a local educational psychologist, a remedial teacher, or, or a speech pathologist. In our discussion so far, you've talked a lot about technology and how technology can help. Um, have you come across uh, computer-based or software technology that can help with dyslexia, or is it still a very much a person-to-person method of treatment? Very much children do need that one-on-one intervention, but that being said, there are now some very effective computer programs that can treat the underlying processing uh, issues in dyslexia programs, like the Fast Forward program, specifically work on fine-tuning the brain's ability to distinguish those speech sounds that I talked about earlier. And it's very effective in treating the underlying processing difficulties. It's not necessarily teaching the child to read. They will still need good one-on-one instruction, but the neuroscience-based programs like Fast Forward really get to the core uh, processing issues. So then when the child goes and has one-on-one intervention, they'll get a lot more out of that intervention because we've sort of primed their brain. Mm. Now their brain's more ready to receive that instruction. Devon, thanks for your time. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Learning Capacity Podcast, brought to you by LearnFast Australia.